Mumbo number five, Gangnam Style. Who let the dogs out? These memorable songs hit a nerve that defined our culture for a brief and sometimes embarrassing period of time with the creators of these tunes never matching the success that these efforts took them to again. But what's the cinema equivalent? Well, today and throughout the rest of the series on Cult Movie Cult, we'll be digging into the directors who had a similar career trajectory. Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink, and this is the first in our new series, Flash in the Can, the one-hit wonders of cult cinema. Good luck, Mary. Stop by and see us the next time you're in. Thank you, but I'm never coming back. I don't know about that girl. How do you mean? Day before yesterday, she was the only one of three girls to survive an accident. Six feel a little something. Maybe in her place I'd do the same thing. Just pick up life again. But I still say she's behaving strangely. I have no desire for the close company of other people. My dear, you cannot live in isolation from the human race. You know. Who's the man in the hall? Maybe you heard the boards pop or something. I didn't hear you, Mrs. Thomas. I saw him. There's nobody there. He's been following me. That's all there is to it. That old pavilion out by the lake. Somehow you associate it with all this, don't you? There was someone else there. That strange man was there. Hysteria won't solve anything. Now control yourself. You think I imagined all of it, don't you? You think I'm insane? I didn't say that. I don't mean that. That's just what I need. Get mixed up with some girls off a rocker. So before we get into our film today, which is Carnival of Souls from 1962, which I'm very excited to talk about, uh, we just want to kind of check in. Uh, we haven't done one of these series in a while. We haven't recorded in a bit uh, since our previous series. So um, just want to check in with, with you, Jeremy. And I know you just uh, you actually just got done filming a, a short film that you raised some money for. Is that is how'd that go? You said it went pretty well. Yeah. So I, I raised I, I did a Kickstarter campaign for a short film I wrote. Um, called Exposures, about a paparazzi photographer having a secret backdoor meeting with a reality TV star. Um, and we just shot it this past weekend. It was definitely a pretty big jump for me. Um, I'm coming from doing super micro-budget stuff, and we still didn't have an insane budget for this. It wasn't Hollywood level or anything. But it was definitely a bigger project, and it was, it was a really cool learning experience. Um, and it, it was exciting because I realized how much the films that we've talked about in this series have influenced me as a director. Yeah, um, which, interesting. Yeah, it was really cool just being on set. You know, I'd find myself thinking, oh, this is, you know, a big Lebowski moment or mm -hmm. this is a primer moment or something like that. And right. just, just kind of digging in and thinking back to what well, we've talked yeah. to some of those early Peter Jackson films going all the way back to our first series. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely a good big learning experience, but happy yeah, to be here. These movies do stick with you. So, <laughs> yeah, they, no, they do stick. It's they're, they're definitely some um, they, they, they get in your head and they that's why yeah. they're cult movies, though, is. They, exactly. they persist. They abide, as we right. say. They do abide. Yes. They do abide. The films abide. <laughs> um, but yeah, but happy to be back here today and talking about Carnival of Souls. 
yeah, I'm excited to get back into it too. I mean, I, I've been doing the dad thing uh, for the <laughs> most part, um, which has been super crazy and busy in its own right. But, um, you know, I, I actually haven't had any time to, to watch anything, let alone cult films. So uh, I was super excited to get back into this. And I, when I watched this movie, I, I just got really excited to talk about it and delve into it again. So I'm excited to be back. And, uh, you know, we, we always take little breaks in between series, but that was particularly longer one uh, just because we both had a lot of stuff going on but um you know i feel like it's good to get back into it so um we're both happy to be doing that and let's start it today by by talking about uh carnival of souls which we um well so there was to to go a little behind the scenes here we had a lot to choose from When, when we came up with this series idea one hit wonders uh, we thought it was such a good idea that we just kept coming up with movie titles. We're like, oh, this and this and this. Uh, and we came up with a bunch of movies that did not make the cut. Um, I felt like we had to be a little strict with this one mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's it's hard to say sometimes. It's like a movie could be a hit in, in a, a certain sense, but maybe it's a mainstream hit. You know, maybe it's not a cult movie. Yeah. Like maybe maybe not purely a cult film. So I tried to go for films that really uh, fit fit that role and were also successful and that the director or creator did not go on to do much else. If they did do anything else, uh, nothing that, you know, that matched uh, the impact that, that, yeah, that this film, this particular film had. So I think the list we came up with is a good one. And I think all of them make sense. So, um, and I think the other movies we came up with, we're probably going to save for future series, like Mm -hmm. different ideas that we had. So, we were able to narrow it down to, I believe, five films for this. Mm-hmm. And the first one, so we wanted to go chronologically again for this one. We just felt it made sense. So Carnival of Souls was 1962. Um, and Jeremy, since you're better at this than I am, do you want to go into a little bit of what the plot is? Yeah, let's film? talk plot. So th- this movie, like a lot of movies we talk about on this podcast, um, the plot is not the most important feature of the movie it, it kind of yeah. jumps around a little bit it's it's a very immersive film but to give a, a rough background um so it starts out in kansas with a character by the name of mary henry riding along in a car um as they're drag racing with two under two other young women and a, a couple men and they're speeding across a bridge and they go flying off the car plunges into the river the police are looking for the car for a while not finding anything and then eventually they find it, or they don't find the car, rather. Mary surfaces. She just walks up kind of out of the water mm-hmm. and can't remember like, how hey she... hey, guys, su- what's up? Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, what's going on? But she can't remember how she survived. They're not seeing any of the other people. Then, as if, you know, not really even that affected by the incident, Mary moves to Salt Lake City, Utah, where she is hired as a church organist, but doesn't seem to be particularly religious. She kind of just views it as a, as a paid gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and when arriving there... Um, things start to get kind of weird for Mary. Um, she starts seeing this man who pops up out of nowhere who is actually, I, I don't know what we're going to call his character. I think we just call him the creepy man for our oh, purposes. Yeah. Well, I uh, guess the word the word ghoul comes the to ghoul, mind. Yeah, apparently, apparently that is a word that is used a lot with this film. Um, yeah. But I don't know if he's like the ghoul. Let's or see just if a, we can uh, a ghoul. <laughs> get some IMDB, see what he's credited as. <laughs> yeah, let's see what he, yeah. Um, but idea. he was actually... Um, played the the ghoul or the creepy man. I'm not even seeing a credit for him. He mm. must have because he was so he was actually played by the director of this film, Herc Harvey. Oh, yeah, so he well, so he's go. actually okay. credited as the man. So we were right, right on the money. Um, but the but man. yeah, so so but she starts seeing this man. He starts popping up, um, kind of haunting her a little bit. He has these dark eyes and this really pale face, but he'll only show up for a few seconds and then disappear. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, he's played by Herc Harvey, the director, who's a really interesting dude who we'll get into in a minute. Um, and then our character Mary discovers this abandoned carnival. She kind of seems drawn to it and keeps exploring. The She also has this incident where she's walking around and no one seems to hear her or see her or acknowledge her. Um, so so it starts to de- it starts to kind of delve into this this state of pure madness and confusion, yeah. uh, but not but not in a way where the movie is confusing somehow, which I guess is a good a good first talking point. Is did did you feel lost at any point during this m- movie, Mark? I actually did not because it's such a simple story mm-hmm. and and premise. Um, it's very ethereal and it's you know it's very uh, hallucinatory and and all these kind of trippy images and things are going on but the story itself is extremely simple mm-hmm. basically well, as you mentioned the beginning of the film um so the opening uh, it opens somewhat abruptly actually very abruptly <laughs> it, it just really gets right in there you, you um, go right into like a two shot of people driving in the middle I of actually, the dialogue it's when very... i was watching it, i thought i missed something i rewound Same. it what like twice i was like wait what's going on but so yeah it starts off uh with this a good old fashioned drag race, you know, which you, mm-hmm. you see sometimes in, in movies, you don't really see them too much anymore, but, um, so it starts off with this drag race and there's an the accident, they go in the water. Um, and from there, you know, once she emerges from the water, uh, the main actress, uh, her character's name is Mary. Um, once she emerges, um, the rest of the film is, is her trying to just go about her regular life and, <laughs> And sort of deal with what happened, but not really. I mean, the thing that I <laughs> I noticed, I don't know if this was an acting thing or, or what, but I, it seems like her character was not really that disturbed by what happened. I mean, no. I, I guess it's because she is trying to push it down so much, but it almost seems like she's very carefree and just kind of, do, you know, doing her thing and getting a job at the, the church and hanging out with this weird, creepy dude who lives across the hall from her and mm-hmm. she's kind of just having a good old time. So yeah. I don't know if that's, if that's like a character thing, like that's supposed to be her suppressing the traumatic event or if it's just like how they played it. But anyway, well, it's, it's um, interesting. And th- so, so this movie um, it, it's, and, and once again, we always recommend you watch the movies ahead of time because sometimes yeah, there, talk, there talking be spoilers. about spoilers, spoilers, yeah. but also just talking about talking about a movie is never as good as seeing the movie. You know, yeah, we always it, recommend you watch yeah. the film before listening to this. So yeah, yeah. so we, we can enhance your experience of it, but not give you your first experience of it. Yeah. Um, but but this movie pretty regularly gets talked about um, in terms of influences on another very famous director being David Lynch. Um, it's oh, kind of, you can the, totally see it too. You can see it. It's it's pretty clear that he saw this movie at some point in his formative filmmaking years and just totally devoured it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is. In talking about Mary and how she's kind of going about her life and how all of the other characters exist in this film, I, I was looking for it this morning, but I couldn't find the exact quote. But there's this really, really great essay that David Foster Wallace wrote about David Lynch um, in part of his collection in a book called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. The essay is called David Lynch Keeps His Head, um, which I highly, highly recommend for any David Lynch or David Foster Wallace fans. Um, I should read that. Yeah, really terrific essay where basically he was allowed on set um, while they were making Lost Highway. and um, but, but I remember this quote always stuck with me, and I wish I could find it. I might try to find it later, and we can post it online or something. But he was talking about how what makes the characters of David Lynch films unique is that they're possessed. Not possessed by some type of ghoul or ghost, but they're just, they just, in their nature, seem like there's some outside force acting upon them that causes them not to live totally as human beings do. So they're, they're able to kind of 
ignore violent situations. They're able to not pick up on things that should be funny or they're able to laugh at things that shouldn't be funny. It, it's just this, this strange sense of possession. And I think that Mary is a perfect example of a character who's possessed. You know, she's, she, she acts on impulses. She doesn't really, like, she, she has fear, but the fear seems to happen at weird times. She's able to kind of be really horrified of yeah. something happening to her, and then 30 seconds later act as if she's totally fine. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like some kind of outside force is just acting on her being. Yeah, yeah. And the fear does eventually take over, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. we won't talk about the ending just yet, but um, that does start to manifest itself a, a lot more as the film progresses. But yeah, for most of the movie, um, it just kind of struck me as like a, like a... I was talking to you about this a little bit. It, this movie is a bit of an anomaly because it's sort of a, like a B movie, but it's at the same time, it's visually striking. You know, it has artful editing and cinematography, mm -hmm. but it's still, it's pulpy. You know, it has that almost exploitative feel to it um, while still having this classic Hollywood feel as well uh, at, at the same time. So it's sort of interesting in that regard. Um, and it's kind of all over the place, which I, I actually kind of dug. Like I liked how it would kind of dip into these more surreal moments. It mm -hmm. almost felt like a, like a Maya Darren movie or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Of the that's, that's a good, um, that's a good point of comparison. Yeah. Like sure. it would just, it would become like a silent experimental type, you know, film. Yeah. So it, it had a little bit of everything, I, I think. And I don't know if that was a conscious thing, um, you know, on the part of the, the filmmakers, but uh, it's something that I responded to and I found pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but did you get that as well as you watched it? Like you, Yeah, it kind of bounced around that. a little bit in terms of tone, but it all felt like part of the same movie, um, which, yeah. which I think yeah. is a real accomplishment, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, and I've probably talked about this before, at least in my personal experience making films, that tone is probably the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Um, because Agreed. especially in even little things like, you know, you're shooting on one day and there's a certain mood with your actors and what you're doing with the camera. And then you shoot another day and all of a sudden there's a little bit different of a mood because the weather's a little different or you're tired or you're not tired. Um, and mm -hmm. so, so tone is always a really, really challenging thing to do. And I think that this yeah. movie in terms of being a tone poem is really interesting mm -hmm. because it is all about tone. Like, like this, this whole movie yeah. revolves around the, a feeling of like a certain mm -hmm. feeling. It's, it's not like the plot doesn't really matter that much. You know, the, mm -hmm. the honestly, like the, the, the characters don't even really matter that much. Like she's not our main character isn't a particularly unique woman, you no. know, like she's kind of flat. She's basically either mm -hmm. scared or she's like just mm -hmm. trying to live a very banal. I'm a working yeah. class person existence, you know, and a lot of the characters around here are relatively flat. But and a lot of the dialogue's a little, you know, I would say a little corny, yeah. and I mean that's that's where I got the B movie feel mostly, like the yeah. acting and and how things are presented. But like you said, Jeremy, it is very difficult to have a tone, uh, a consistent tone, mm -hmm. and this movie definitely does have that with everything that is going on. And I think that's really, uh, you know, I think that's what makes it sta stand out. Mm -hmm. That and those surreal, dreamlike images that we touched on, I, I think. A lot of those are actually pretty creepy, even by today's standards, mm -hmm. um, even maybe more so because it, it is just like, you know, someone in white makeup that's staring at the camera. But that's pretty creepy. You know, if you just kind of yeah. cut that into a movie, you know, it can be used very effectively. Yeah. Um, and it, it called to mind for me almost a little bit in um, The Exorcist. OK, there, there's there's one moment where uh, the demon, you kind of see the demon for a second and the mm -hmm. demon looks a lot like the man in this movie. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like presented in a similar way. 
Um, also, yeah. like, I don't know. It's, it's, what I love about this movie is you can really see its its DNA all over mm. horror cinema. Like, well, since then. It, it really... It's, yeah. It's funny you say that because I was just about to mention that uh, apparently George Romero noted mm-hmm. that this film was the inspiration for A Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And when I when I read that, I was like, oh, totally. Totally, like, yeah. I, I definitely understand that. Like, those, you know, sinister-looking white-faced people walking slowly you know Mm -hmm. it just all it all adds up to yeah okay that makes sense that he would he would make that from from this idea yeah um and it's interesting with this movie too i think because we talk about these other movies and this movie over time to give a little bit of background it has become a cult hit for lack of a better term um but when it came out um it it wasn't really like a lot of the cult movies we talk about right you know it wasn't really viewed as anything big it kind of years later i think in the 1980s kind of started picking up a festival following. It started getting screened a little bit. Well, they um, also re- re- sort of re-released it in a way because they had, I guess they found the original negatives mm-hmm. and they, they remastered it in a certain way. Put out a director's which, cut that's four minutes longer. <laughs> right. So that, yeah. So that put it more in people's consciousness again, I would say. Um, but yeah, after that, it kind of, you know, the Criterion Collection uh, did a release of it. It kind of took off from there and it became, you know, way after the fact, it became a cult film, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, um, but des- to, deservedly so because I think it has a lot of memorable aspects to it. Oh, absolutely. So far, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these scenes are truly horrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is sometimes you know sometimes at least in my experience, we'll watch you know you'll watch an older horror movie that everyone says oh you know it's so scary and then you watch it and it kind of feels a little dated and yeah. not really actually scary. But some of these scenes, like I wouldn't want to yeah. be sitting alone at night watching some of yeah, these. Yeah, it scenes. feels. It feels almost modern in its sensibilities in that yeah. way. Yeah, and an interesting yeah. thing, and and so since this is a one-hit wonder film, we need to talk about, um, and I think a lot of, personally, I think we would like to spend a lot of time on this particular episode talking about, is kind of the director and the production of this film and kind of his career path. Um, I think yeah. what's, what's kind of going to kind of be unique about this particular series is that, yes, we are going to talk about the films, we're going to dive into them, but we're also talking about the nature of filmmaking a little bit because to be a one-hit wonder... That means that something had to line up that never lined up again. Um, so mm-hmm. so the, the individuals in this particular series are going to be really valuable for us to discuss. So the director of this film is a guy named Herc Harvey. Um, great name. He, yeah, great name. Awesome, awesome <laughs> name. I don't think that was his real name. What did you say it was? His real name is like... Uh, oh, it's like... Uh, hold on. I can Arthur tell you or... It's... Uh, Harold, Harold. Harold Arnold. Harold... Yeah. <laughs> Harold Arnold. Harold Herc Arnold Harvey. Harvey. Yes. Um, but yeah, so our, our good old friend Herc... He was bouncing around for years and years and years, um, mostly doing industrial films, industrial and educational films, which is a really interesting training. Um, I, I would today kind of think of it almost like a director who spends their time doing a bunch of branded content, and that's how they learn to make movies. But the difference being that then there wasn't really the opportunity like there is now. You know, you couldn't just pick up an iPhone and just go make short films. Um, for like, I don't really think he was doing much work in the way of fictional narrative filmmaking he was mostly no. just doing stuff about tractor trailers and yeah and he went back to films it later films. he went back mm-hmm. to it later in his career um there there's a film uh, it's like like danger is like shaking mm. hands with danger or something it's all about use how to use construction vehicles properly 
Um, well, the time that he made this film was basically considered a working vacation for him. Yeah. He was like, hey, I'm going to take off work and go make this movie. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, sounds good. Hurt. So that's, he went and did. And I, I think they shot it in, uh, I don't know if I noted exactly how long it was. I believe it was three weeks. Three weeks, it, yeah. A very short amount of time to make a film in, so, especially when you're actually using film uh, mm-hmm. to shoot it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, I think what's interesting, though, is, and this is something we talked about in our previous series about low-budget, uh, lo-fi sci-fi, about low-budget science fiction films, is that the 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 uh, materials that they had available, the resources that they had available, and the limitations really influenced how the film was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting, and one of the things that always I've... Because I've, I, I saw this movie for the first time maybe five years ago, and I've watched it one or twice uh, since then, is I love the way, because there's a lot of scenes in cars in this movie. And I think this movie, even though it came out in 1962... I would kind of consider this more a '50s movie. Um, I, I feels th- like it, it, it yeah. feels like a. Fi- but what feels so different about this movie? For it has me, that Betty Crocker feel. Yeah, it has the Betty special. Crocker feel. The the way the characters speak, the types of characters we're seeing on screen, it feels a lot more '50s. But what makes it for me feel so fresh and so different than all those other movies is the cinematography. Um, just such a big part of it, you know, because it's black and white. But it just it feels like there was just some really punchy, almost like Jean-Luc Godard-esque new wave mm-hmm. kind of things going on. Definitely. That I don't, I, it, maybe he was looking at Breathless and maybe he was looking at Jules and Jim, but realistically to me, um, one, one note I read is that he was used to shooting on, Ari, I believe, Ari Flex cameras. And he, um, those were, at the time, they weren't really used as movie cameras. They were used mostly for the instructional videos that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, and educational videos but what that allowed him to do is because they couldn't afford rear screen projection is whenever they were shooting in a car they would put the camera inside the car huh. uh, and that that's something that today you know think about a car scene today where you wouldn't see a handheld camera inside a car or a mounted camera inside a real moving car you know what i mean like unless right. it's done with green screen but like you think about you know even the really famous scene at the beginning of Pulp Fiction, where the Travolta character and the Samuel L. Jackson character, the, the Royale with cheese scene that is so right. well known. And that, you know, that's the camera getting right up inside of a car that is actually moving. Mm-hmm. And it just has this, this rugged, kind of on-the-road, fun feel to it. And that's something that, that Herc Harvey and his cinematographer, uh, Maurice Prather, were able to accomplish in this film that was years ahead of its time. Definitely. Yeah, when I say that there are certain modern sensibilities going on, I, I feel like even though it feels like it's from the 50s, it also feels more modern than that. Like almost like a, I would even go as far as to say like like late 70s. 70s, yeah. Yeah, kind of feel to it. Like Especially Don't Look Now it, or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Something, that's exactly the movie I was thinking of, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, so yeah, it has that feel. And when I said it was simplistic, I, I guess because... This movie also has a bit of a Twilight Zone feel to me. Very Twilight and I, Zone. I actually learned why that is, because apparently it was uh, partly inspired by a Twilight Zone episode yeah. called The the Hitchhiker. Yeah, which yeah, I yeah. I've had seen not it. seen. But yeah, 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 yeah. So that was like I guess one of one of the inspirations of this film. The other inspiration is that when the director Herc Harvey was driving by an abandoned, uh, it's actually called the Saltair Pavilion which is essentially like an amusement park. It's in Utah, and he was driving by it, and the image of this abandoned place just struck something in him, and he got the idea for this 
movie pretty much from that. And then he worked on it with the writer, the one who ended up writing the film. And so that combined with that Twilight Zone episode, I guess, is how you get Carnival of Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, because... And also thinking back, um, I mean, it's been a while since I've watched the Twilight Zone, but the very first episode of the Twilight Zone, which I pulled up here, which is called Where Is Everybody?, is about a um, guy who's in an empty town feeling like he's alone and being watched. And there's definitely mm-hmm. a little bit of that in it, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely definitely a Twilight Zone influence. Mm-hmm. But definitely not just Twilight Zone. Yeah, it, it transcends that because of the way it's shot and the mm-hmm. way it's edited. Um, and just, like, the moments of... <laughs> yeah, it's like I can only compare it to David Lynch, sort of, where it's, like, that surreal aspect um, that I love. Like, whenever movies go in that direction, it's just... You know, that's what I enjoy, and, and I kind of love that this movie sort of d- dissolves into, you know, her just going on this strange journey um, mm-hmm. up until the end of the film, um, which I guess the, we could talk about the, the ending parts now a little bit um, to go back to talk about the film. Then we'll go back and, and uh, finish talking about the filmmaker as well, because mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk about those parts um, because... Um, it basically, you know, because up until that point, which I would say like the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty standard. Like I said, sort of like almost like a B movie uh, exploitation film type feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are elements and there are scenes that are, transcend that. Like in particular, the one scene that stuck out to me was the scene in uh, the church when she's in the church when she's playing the organ and she starts having these flashes of images. Mm-hmm flashes of images uh, with these ghoul-like, uh, you know, humans or creatures. And and that scene was really powerful and really cool, I thought. Um, but then, you know, most of the film is, is mostly dialogue and, and things like that. So when it kind of gets to that point where uh, the main character is kind of going off on her own and she's becoming more and more disconnected with the people around her and the world that she's in, um, and that's when it really, for me, I was like, okay, I'm really, really digging this now. <laughs> <laughs> like I I, en- I enjoyed it before that, but when it gets to that point, I just thought it was really cool that it it almost becomes like this surrealistic uh, fever dream, I guess. Yeah. Like reminiscent of some of the more like I said, like the more experimental films from the silent era. Like mm-hmm. Maya Darren was like someone who just like really came to mind. Yeah. And I, I don't know if he was. I don't know if her Car- Harvey was inspired by that those types of films, mm-hmm. or if that's kind of just the direction that the film ended up going. Yeah. Um. But I mean, that scene in the ballroom at the end with all yeah. the ghouls dancing. I mean, that's just like beautiful stuff, right it there. It just yeah, it just kind of totally runs off the rails in the best way. Like yeah, not not yeah. I don't want to run not running off the rails like the movie loses control of itself. No. Like yeah, it's, it's like, like it runs off the the rails like you as the viewer lose control of the movie like you can no longer. Yeah. It's like I'm just gonna follow this woman on yeah. this journey now like, it's, like, it's going where it's going and you can do nothing about it you're just pretty along much for the ride there's almost no more dialogue at a certain point either i think there's a couple lines like at the very end but mm-hmm. um yeah all the dialogue goes away it's just silent uh experimental type filmmaking which yeah. i thought was really 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 cool which kind I think of that's what brings it to like that next level yeah as, as a cult film i feel yeah. yeah well and also in terms of its influence there's just like i said there's so many movies particularly David Lynch movies, like I think about Mulholland Drive and mm-hmm. kind of a similar thing happens where you're moving along, moving along, and then the last half hour, you mm-hmm. know, just it turns into this insane fever dream. Right. And, and it, so it's one of those things where the, 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 the fingerprints of this movie just blows my mind every time I watch it. And yeah. especially the more movies I watch, then when you come back to this and realize mm-hmm. that there are even more movies that have been influenced by it than you think there have. Yeah, um, it's pretty mind blowing. It is interesting though to to jump back because I, I think it does do some really interesting subtle things 
earlier well, on in the film. Well, so, I think. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. But I was gonna, I was gonna say one more thing about um, the filmmakers. I, you know, because I feel like you know, I, I had brought up, did, did they know what they were doing? And I think to a certain extent, they definitely did because mm-hmm. portions of the movie are actually tinted in a manner similar to silent films. Um, which is probably why I, I got that vibe a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So whenever Mary is in one of her altered mental states, the picture has a, a faint cyan tint, mm-hmm. and then the the quote unquote real scenes are in pure black and white, which is something that you don't even really notice when you're watching the film. No, but it's it's definitely there. And later in the film, the tinted segments also have distorted sound and picture. So they were doing some really cool stuff with the filmmaking itself. Um, but sorry, I didn't want to jump on what you were about to well, say. Well, no, but... I, uh, I, yeah, building off of that, even like, because it's cool, because so much of what gets talked about with this movie is the big ending scene, uh, yeah. which naturally, because it's pure insanity in the best way. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's also stuff earlier on in the film, like there's a scene where um, the, I, I believe it's the priest character is guy is telling Mary where to find her room, and they're outside, and he just points to his right, and the camera whip pans left and it just whip pans to black and then when it lands we're already just in the room yeah Um, it's like a really weird transition there's another one where the priest is just outside watering some flowers and mary is just sitting inside of the church just staring at something and the priest (laughs) just gets this funny look on his face and just goes inside and just starts asking her about (laughs) what she's staring at and so there's some like really subtle little Mm -hmm. weird things going on that you don't really notice are weird and, and that's why and yeah. I, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's, it's kind of like that David Lynch possessed thing where mm-hmm. it's like you when, when you're watching it, you don't really question it. Like it yeah. doesn't seem that weird because they create the tone, the tone of it. But when you when you really start to think about like, why did he just go into that church? Like what like mm-hmm. what caused him and why are we just seeing him clipping some flowers? You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just standing around clipping, and we're on that shot for like five seconds. And then this priest just pops up, gets like a look on his face like he's heard something. But yeah. all that's happening is she's sitting in pure silence, just staring at a wall. Like there, yeah. there's very, some very weird things that you don't question while you're moving through it. But then they're really just setting you up to exist. Because a movie like this, I think probably the biggest challenge for a director is getting people to believe it. Getting people to lean mm-hmm. into it, um, accept the, the suspend their disbelief, accept the verisimilitude. Yeah. And it's just like... Like there's some super super subtle, and that's why I almost like 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 really like the opening of the movie, how it just opens mm-hmm. in a hard way like that. And yeah. I remember the yeah. first the first time I saw this film was actually in a theater. Um, I, oh, cool. I saw it at MoMA, and I remember thinking the same thing when that happened. Is like, oh no, they started the movie in the middle. What, what's happening? <laughs> but I, I feel like it's one of those things where it almost that that's the perfect setup. Because, it's like a prelude, yeah. Well, and it's kind of like, like you know, it's, it's, it's a movie that spends so much time in a dream state, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like going into a dream, where you don't really remember how you got there. It doesn't yeah. set itself up nicely. You're just all of a sudden in the middle of it. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, some other stuff you were bringing up there, I, I think this movie would definitely warrant, or would benefit from multiple viewings. Like, I, mm-hmm. I actually want to watch it again, like, right away, just to see yeah. if I can pick up on, on certain things. Because there is a lot, you know, before it totally goes off the rails like we said in a good way um but but before that happens there is a lot of subtlety and a lot of really cool camera movements and i guess camera tricks some of them you call uh, you know mm-hmm. the way that things are shot and the editing is is great throughout and yeah i mean the movie as a whole and it, it's very short as well which is to its benefit i think mm-hmm. um because it, it and that also adds to that twilight zone feel where it's kind of like you're in and out you yeah. know you're you come in it, there's a weird situation 
and you leave with more questions than you had at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really cool, and I, I you know I, I think anyone who is a, a David Lynch fan or or into like that kind of you know or Jordan uh, Peele for for kind of yeah, newer yeah or Jordan Peele there's, there's yeah. definitely I am willing to put hard cash on it that Jordan Peele is a fan of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but um, just like the, if you're interested in the subconscious at all. Uh, you know, I think you should really check out this film. And um, like we said, it's also kind of creepy <laughs> in parts. It's a little yeah. scary. Oh, it's uh, definitely scary. And I'm not someone who gets scared from watching movies, but it's um, there's some general creepiness going on. Like I actually made the sound like, oh, like a couple of times, like, oh, yeah. Man. Like when because something it, it would pop up. Like, well, it's also, yeah. ni- it's nice too, because, you know, now we see so many horror films because, you know, at this time, horror kind of meant something different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the, there, there wasn't as much of this kind of psychological and, like, possessive, ghosty horror going on. A lot of the horror films up to this point, it's focused a lot more on alien horror, monster horror. Like, it was kind of more of, like, a clear and present danger. And this mm-hmm. is kind of one of the earlier uh, films to... Psychological. Yeah, psychological, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of, kind of like supernatural a little bit, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and so, so it's one of those things where it, the way they deal with scares, like we're used to seeing movies about ghosts now all the time, and mm-hmm. and they they still they they rely very heavily on, I don't I don't want to say jump scares, but they do a lot of jump scares, but it's also kind of like trying to make you feel uneasy by jolting you, mm-hmm. and this movie doesn't really do that because it, no. you know they'll put like for example there's a great scene when we see one of the times when we see the man. And which is kind of like the last time before we really dive into madness that things kind of make sense is she's sitting in this therapist's office who is a very weird character. She oh, meets this therapist yeah. and so it just she just happens to meet a therapist when she's having... <laughs> I'm a doctor. Follow me. Yeah. yeah, like she's having a breakdown and his office just happens to be right there, which just adds to how surreal it is. Like, like every like it's like, like things just line up. Like he might not even be a doctor, but right. it's just in <laughs> exactly. that moment, something possesses him to pretend to be a doctor. <laughs> But there's this great moment where she's just sitting there expressing all of her horrified feelings to this dude. And you see that his chair is turned around the other way. And you know that it's not him sitting you know in the chair. Yeah. Like, you, you know. know but it, they, just, they, they, they just let you sit there for mm-hmm. like a minute and a half. And you're just yeah. waiting for this jump scare. Like this huge jump scare. And then the, he just turns around slowly. And you're just sitting there. And then you cut away from it. Well, these people, like, or these ghouls, whatever they yeah. are, they just stare into your soul. Like, yeah. Some of these shots, they just, they just, I love that they just linger on these people's faces. Yeah. It Follows. And have you seen It Follows, Mark? I have seen It Follows, yeah. That definitely, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see influences all over the place. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like this is a very influential cult yeah. film. But um, I was going to say about, like, the scene that I brought up before where she's playing the organ in the church mm-hmm. and ha- having these visions and actually cuts to the ballroom scene which we see later yeah but that it has the ballroom scene and one of the ghouls uh comes he leaves the ballroom and comes towards the camera Mm -hmm. and and then he comes very close to the viewer and puts his arms out and the next shot is these hands grabbing um Mm -hmm. the main actress's hands as she's playing the organ so and something like that is like just really jarring and really cool yeah you know it's just like it's it's something that you know, you, you could go for just like a cheap jump scare, but the fact that they build up to it like that and they kind of linger on this person and it still has that impact. I mean, that's like, that's really something there. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because that was a moment I noted as well um, that kind of I noted in the same vein as that whip pan we were talking about before and kind yeah. of thinking about it now. I think one of the, the things that makes this movie work is that you never really feel a cut the whole movie. 
It no, seems like the no. movie just kind of flows together, like not like yeah. a single take, but it's like the, like the cuts yeah, are kind of hidden. Not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, the cuts are kind of hidden, so it feels like you're just moving from place mm-hmm. to place without ever really landing anywhere. Right, like you're the, like, like, oh, I'm in this location now, yeah. Yeah, like like the scenes just kind of bounce together, and it, it, I don't know, it has this very strange effect of being mm-hmm. lost, and that's why it, it is so dreamlike, um, mm-hmm. and it feels like, like you'd be it Herc Harvey, or the editor, or the cinematographer, or all of them, um, or, you know, the actress, um, her name being Candace Hilgoss, who she's so good in this movie, I don't know how she didn't do Never a lot really more. Never went on to anything else. Yeah, well, she apparently was also... she was... Uh, her agent refused to represent her after this film really? came out. After yeah. Seeing this film, yeah. She was also a one hit wonder, I guess. But yeah, I think that's like people, whoever was making this movie was really thinking about the nature of dreams mm-hmm. um, more so than a lot of other movies that are dreamlike yeah. for lack of a it better It feels term. more dreamlike than a lot of films that try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's just all kind of like one just flowy, pulsating, mm-hmm. weird just spot just to be lost in for 80 minutes and then you kind of wake up at the end. Yeah. That's how it feels. And to kind of wrap up our discussion on it, um, as you touched on, Jeremy, the film, when it came out in, or when it was released to theaters in 1962, it was a failure. So it was, you know, did not do well at the box office. But then it began airing on late night television. And as we mentioned, there was a, a re release uh, later on. And this is the type of thing that would, would make it very well regarded and make it a cult classic, I would say. Um, and it's a film that, like, not only anyone should check out, but any, like, filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, anyone interested in film in any way, I think you can, you can get a lot from this movie. Yep. And um, there was a remake as well, which I learned after I watched this because it popped up on the screen. Uh, it's from 1988. And uh, there was some involvement from Wes Craven. I believe he was a producer on it. Uh, I just skipped through it just because more out of morbid curiosity than anything. I didn't wasn't really expecting anything. Um, especially after I just watched this film, I'm like, you know, there's no way they're going to match what they just did. Um, so it seems like they go for more of like a Jacob's Ladder type yeah. thing where there's like these grotesque creatures and monsters showing up um, in the characters' hallucinations. But the actual plot of the film is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only slight homages to the original to to the point where it's almost it doesn't even feel like a remake. It's kind of like they took the title and some of the main elements. Um, so suffice it to say it's not nearly the classic the original is but if you want to see larry miller dressed as a clown uh this then this remake has you covered uh one interesting aspect of this though i, I did want to mention so sydney berger the actor from carnival of souls who plays john who is like i guess the love interest in this film although he's kind of just comes off as like a creep to me yeah but anyway um it's complicated actor, it's, it's a complicated relationship yeah. um so he's in this film, uh, the film we're talking about from 1962, and he is in the remake from 1988. And those are the only two movies he's ever acted in. <laughs> Turn of all that's really interesting. So he uh, he plays, he just has a, a cameo role as a police officer. Well, apparently uh, at the end, but... they asked Candace Hilgoss, the lead from Carnival of Souls, <laughs> to be in the remake and she yeah. turned it down. She was not into this remake She was not into the idea. Yeah. I was reading a quote from her where she was just, you know talking about how dissatisfied she was with it yeah apparently also there's another um an unofficial remake um that came out in 2008 under the title yella directed by christian petzold um who mark have you ever seen any christian petzold movies no i don't believe so so i believe he's a german director he did this movie a few years ago called phoenix 
um, which okay. is honestly probably one of my top like 20 favorite movies of all time. Really, mm-hmm. really good. So I'm curious. I'm definitely going to go in and watch this movie now um, mm-hmm. because his aesthetic is just totally wacky okay. and mind-bending. Um, yeah, I think, I think this is the kind of idea you can take and you can yeah. like, use it in different ways. Um, and if we have any yeah. filmmakers listening, this is a public domain film. So it is a public domain film. Take the ideas and bend them in all the ways you would like because it's yeah. out there and it's for you. So it's easy to find and yeah, yeah. take take the ideas and make your own thing. Show your friends um, and let us know what you think. I think the important thing, like you said, Jeremy, is the tone. You just want to keep that consistent tone mm-hmm. um, and you know try to do something cool with it. And yeah. I think that's what this film does. And um, Herc Harvey, uh, just to wrap it up on him, so. When he shot this film, it was a very small crew, uh, only consisted of five other people besides himself. So this had to be somewhat of a labor of love for him. You know, he took a, mm-hmm. some time away from work, and he made this movie pretty quickly. Um, and when he finished the film, I guess because it wasn't a success, he went back to his original job of making industrial and training films. Mm-hmm. Um, and he traveled to South America, I guess, to do that. Um, and so he uh, received his royalty checks, and... The check bounced, apparently, <laughs> and the, and the distri- distribution company folded in 1964. And that was pretty much the end of his film career, although he did continue to make these industrial training films for the rest of his life. And he's actually quite proud of these films and is somewhat annoyed that he's only known for Carnival his one, Souls. Feature, one feature film, Carnival of Souls, which is a little mind-boggling to me. Yeah. But I guess he's very proud of his training films, and that's you know good for him. They're pretty. I, I started. Uh, <laughs> wa- I started watching one, the the one I mentioned earlier, called Shaking Hands oh, with Danger. Oh, okay. Yeah. I watched it. It's it's a, uh, you know, it's definitely it, not your stereotypical training film. <laughs> I'll give him that. It's there's like, some uh, artful, uh, artful shots and editing in that. Yeah, there's, there's a nice little like bird's eye view angle from on top of a tractor looking down at a guy who's about to get hurt by the tractor. And oh, it's, wow. it's pretty, I don't know, it's, it's pretty, I could, I could actually see <laughs> why he might want more people to know about those. But <laughs> alas, this is the film yeah. that we will all remember yeah. and, you know, we will all cherish this film. So I mean, it would, it would have been great if he did get another chance to make more of these types of films because I would have loved to, yeah. to really dive into his, his filmography after, the, after seeing this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, because this, this is the series, uh, One Hit Wonders, and this wonders, is all he made. Yeah. So that's that's it for for Herc Harvey, and as we mentioned, uh, Candice Hillegross or Hillegoss, Hillegos, not sure. Hilligos, yeah. The main actress from this film, anyway. Um, yeah, she didn't go on to do too much either. She was in one other horror film, I believe, uh, pretty sh- soon after this. Actually, not until 1971. It's called South of Hell Mountain. I'm assuming it's a horror film. I actually have no idea what it's about, um, but. That was it for her as well. So, yeah, uh, lots of lots of kind of one-offs here, and look at what they made. You know, so you never know uh, where a cult film is going to come from or what kind of impact it's going to have. But before we go here, Jeremy, did you have any uh, last concluding thoughts on Carnival of Souls? Yeah, final thoughts. Um, definitely, like we said, this is a public domain film, so it's really easy to find. It's on YouTube. Um, I watched this movie more than once. If you get the chance. Um, and yeah, just try, I don't know, try to absorb it. It's a really kind of unique, one of a kind piece of work mm-hmm. that is important. It's important to talk about because directors like Herc Harvey, if we don't kick their names around, even though he only had this one film, um, they can get forgotten. Um, and yeah, so, it's, so it's important, it's, you know, it's important to just keep this kind of film and films like it in the, in the zeitgeist and 
let people know if you like this movie tell people about it share it yeah it's a great singular film that warrants watching it over and over again and is very influential so definitely a cult film and one that i'm glad i got to see for the first time because i had not seen this film before um so that's going to wrap it up for today I want to thank you for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side. <laughs>